Let's begin with a word of prayer. Grant peace, we pray, and mercy, Lord. Peace in our time, O send us. For there is none on earth but you, none other to defend us. You only, Lord, can fight for us. Amen. That's an old Latin hymn, uh, prayer, Latin prayer hymn that Martin Luther translated and made popular. Uh, it's in our hymnal called Grant Peace, We Pray and Mercy, Lord. So, fun fact. Um, nothing really particularly to do with law and gospel, but that is what we're discussing tonight is law and gospel, which if you've been a Lutheran for really any amount of time, then you have probably heard the phrase... Law and gospel, um, either law and gospel preaching or just uh, in general that Lutheran theology is about law and gospel. And the book, Lutheranism 101, that we're kind of going through, uh, chap- titles this chapter Law and Gospel to Two Great Doctrines of the Bible, and it uh, fits it in under our discussion of Scripture. So we just discussed the Bible for two weeks, and now we're uh, going into law and gospel kind of under that. Now, before we jump into the book, uh, and I'm going to kind of follow the book in a minute, but I have some preliminary things to say about law and gospel, and uh, that is because law and gospel has kind of been a topic of debate within the Lutheran Church, uh, within Lutheran theology, discussions of Lutheran theology in the last, let's say, I don't know, 20 years, um, that these things have been being talked about. And I want to kind of give you an insight onto what that debate's about and kind of where I'm coming at in thinking about and talking about law and gospel. And that has to do with, well, first of all, before we get any further, let's just talk really briefly about a very basic definition of what law and gospel is um, before we get off in the weeds about, about this kind of debate. So first of all, when we talk about law and gospel as a technical term, we're using those terms in a uh, narrow sense of law and gospel, uh, not a broad sense. So both both words, law and gospel, have narrow meanings in theology and, and broad meanings in theology. And we're talking about the kind of narrow meanings of law and gospel. So uh, they... The narrow meaning of law would be the and the most basic way to I think describe these is kind of the seventh grade confirmation uh, trick to remember what these things mean is with this acronym SOS for both law and gospel that the law is what shows us our sin SOS shows our sin. And the gospel is what SOS shows. Have you ever heard this before? Shows our Savior. Okay, so this is kind of an easy way to remember uh, the narrow definitions of law and gospel is that the law is when we're shown our sin, and the gospel is when we're shown our Savior. 
So if someone, uh, you know, hears the preacher or reads the Bible saying, you shall not murder, and you remember that you have uh, been unrighteously angry at your brother, then you are convicted of that. And you've been shown your sin. You've experienced the law, right? If you read the Bible or you hear a preacher say that Jesus died on the cross for murderers and that gives you the peace of knowing that that sin is forgiven, you've been shown your Savior, you've experienced the gospel. Okay, so that's basically what we're talking about now. The law we're going to talk about has some other uses other than just showing the sin. And these things are obviously more complex than just SOS, but to give a basic working definition of what we're talking about. So these are the narrow, the narrow definitions. The broad definitions uh, are also worth kind of knowing and remembering that these terms are used broadly. So the law, um, the Hebrew word for law is Torah, which you've maybe heard before. And the Torah can simply refer, and sometimes when the Old Testament, uh, oftentimes actually when the Old Testament translates this word Torah as law, it can refer to a couple different things. It can refer uh, to the, the five books of Moses, this is how Jesus will sometimes refer to the law, the law and the prophets, right? So you have the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, you have that as kind of a, a one of the definitions of the word law in the Bible. Um, you, it can also simply mean uh, the whole of the scriptures. The Torah is just a can be another kind of way to refer to the scriptures. Um, it can and and then also under that it can kind of refer to uh, the teaching of the scriptures, right? God's teaching, which is going to include things like commandments that we would kind of place in this category of showing our sins, but it's also going to include promises of the Messiah and things like that. Right, so um, the teaching of the scriptures uh, is kind of a broad use of the term law, or the teaching of God. Gospel um, also, so gospel can have a couple different meanings. One, it can refer to the uh, evangelistic accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? The gospels, the gospel books. Um, it can refer to uh, the whole experience of what uh, of, of a believer who comes to see their sin and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins the, that someone would receive the gospel or believe in the gospel and that again um, refers both to recognizing sin and recognizing the Savior. Uh, so we'll just say kind of a 
it can it, the term gospel can refer to um, kind of all of faith, if you will, um, and and also the term the gospel uh, can refer to again just kind of general scriptural teaching that. Uh, if we say, you know, the gospel teaches us this, or that we be, uh, we believe we're gospel Christians, right? That we're saying we believe in, in all of the scriptures, not just the parts that you know specifically show us our Savior or something like that. Um, so those are kind of more broad uses, but just just to be aware, sometimes it, throughout the church and in the Bible, you will read these words, law and gospel. And as a Lutheran who thinks more in these terms of the, the narrow definitions um, of the kind of SOS, we need to be careful not that we're cl- closely reading, right, or closely listening to what's being said, that we're not uh, substituting what our kind of working definitions of law and gospel are for these broad definitions. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Marsha, go ahead. Torah, you're talking, not referring to what uh, the Muslims. So, the that's the Quran. Oh. Quran, yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, you both have that O R A in there. Quran, okay. Torah, yeah, a little bit different. But Torah is a Hebrew word, which is translated most often as law. Okay. Right, and but the there's different use there's different uses of the word Torah is what I'm getting. All right, um, so this field of study, law and gospel, in the Lutheran tradition, so now we're kind of thinking just not, not, not those other broad things, but in this narrow, um, that kind of, let's just say, field of theological study. Of uh, law and gospel. This has kind of had this uh, debate going on within Lutheran circles, and we'll start at the beginning. Where this phrase gets popularized is by this book, which I brought with me, The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel of CFW Walker. You can pass that around if you want. I had a, I have a nicer copy that's a newer edition that I gave to someone to borrow, and I don't know, I don't remember who. Um, I just remember that I gave it to someone. So, uh, anyway, but Walther um, is have, has it, everyone or anyone heard of Walther? <laughs> has oh, anyone yeah. not heard of Walther? Okay. So Walther is the first LCMS president. Um, when his group of people comes over from Germany, uh, they eventually established the LCMS, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Um, they land and, and travel up the Mississippi and end up in Missouri, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And he's the first president. He's uh, their leader. There's a whole uh, very, very interesting story about how he becomes the president, um, having to do with another guy who we won't go into uh, tonight, um, who's accused of adultery, and it's a it's a whole fun story. But um, Walther ends up being the guy, 
And not only is he a, the LCMS president, but he's also a seminary professor, a sim prof, as we say in, in the uh, terminology, in the jargon, a sim prof. And um, as a seminary professor, one of the things that he does is once in a while he'll get together uh, at, at, in the evening after dinner with some students by the fireside, smoke some cigars, and talk theology. And um, the students would take notes on these lectures, right? Especially when he was an older guy, he was one of the most learned theologians of the Lutheran Church, and they would take notes. And what law and gospel is, the proper distinction between law and gospel, is not actually something that he wrote and edited, although it looks like that when you look at the book. Um, it's a, uh, a collection of notes from, those fire, from a series of those fireside chats. Um, So I bring this up because that kind of puts it into context that, one, this is not supposed to be read, I think, as a, an edited work of a theologian where he's being very careful with his language, right? Whenever I'm just kind of chatting with my friends about theology, we're not always super careful in the words that we're choosing, right? However, if I write something to be published, I'm a lot more careful in the words I choose. Also, he's talking to young men who are training to be pastors. So it needs to be, I think, um, recognized as primarily a work of pastoral care, which we're going to come back to. That he's talking about pastors communicating to their people in terms of law and gospel. Okay. Now, as... Lutherans read this throughout the centuries, uh, the, the next couple centuries, and then as we get into the 20th century, uh, later into the 20th century, there's a couple of uh, trends that happen in Lutheran theology. Um, one of the things that happens, this is kind of an aside, is that we switch from speaking German to speaking English. And that's pretty significant because what happens is that when we switch from German to English, this is all this is all important. I know this is kind of a boring history lesson, but this is important, I promise. When we when we switch from German to English, only selected works get translated, right? So if you think about the history of Lutheran theology uh, from Luther until this is the mid-19th century, the mid-1800s, you have a lot of stuff that's written in there, right? And then before that, uh, you have a lot of theology still written in German and a lot of theology written in Latin uh, and, and Greek as well. Now, learning Greek is still retained for the sake of studying the scriptures. However, uh, pastors are no longer required to learn German, and so therefore they're only reading uh, Lutheran theology that's been translated into English, 
And Law and Gospel is one of the books that is. And it's not for a while later that we have other stuff by Walther that speak more about uh, Law and Gospel and speak more about his ideas about preaching and exegesis that uh, are later translated. And and we get to see a little more of what he all means by what he says in Law and Gospel or what, what he you know was recorded of what he said in Law and Gospel. And so... Law and gospel becomes very popular. The proper distinction between law and gospel, this work by, that's not even by Walther, technically, um, it becomes very popular. And in it, he talks uh, pretty abruptly about law and gospel, although, um, as we kind of put this in context, you'll see. So basically what happens, and this is getting to the, the main point of the debate, is that law and gospel becomes kind of the thing for two areas in uh, pastoral ministry, um, preaching and what we call exegesis or interpreting scripture, right? Understanding what, what scripture says. And you've probably heard these phrases before, you know, that we want long gospel preaching and that the Bible is... Uh, all law and gospel, right? The, the Bible is made up of law and gospel. And that's uh, what the, the Lutheranism 101 book uh, kind of starts out with, is that the Bible is law and gospel. And so we'll start with preaching for a second. You've probably heard sermons before that go something like this. Here's a sin... You're a poor, miserable sinner because you've somehow committed this sin at some point in your life. You deserve to go to hell. Jesus came and saved you from that sin. Now you get to go to heaven. Maybe it just ends there and they say amen. Or maybe they, the preacher says something about now try and be a better person, amen. Does that sound kind of familiar? That sermon structure where it's the law and then it's the gospel and then maybe it's a little sanctification and then the sermon's over. And it doesn't really matter what the text is, right, particularly, that no matter what the text is, it's just kind of trying to find the sin and then try to find the, the gospel that shows our Savior and then, and then that's the sermon, right? So... Um, that happened because um, a guy named Richard Kemmerer wrote a – he was another Simprof, St. Louis, um, mid to late 20th century, so not, not that long ago, or more – I guess maybe med, more mid 20th century. Um, Richard Kemmerer wrote a book uh, called Preaching for the Church in which he uh, – kind of systematize law and gospel to be the, the method for preaching, right? Where you preach law and then you preach gospel, and that's kind of how you preach. And that became very, very popular for, for many years for many Lutheran pastors. Now, I'm not saying that those sermons um, are necessarily wrong. I mean, all of that is true. But this is where the debate comes in. 
is, is that how we're really supposed to preach? Is every sermon supposed to be the same sermon with just a different, slightly different uh, text um, emphasis of some kind? Or should maybe we preach uh, first according to the text and then bring in these other things? So that's kind of part of the debate. Uh, the exegesis side of things uh, said as long gospel became very systematized and very popular – um, basically said what the book starts out saying here, which is that uh, the first sentence there on page 132, if you're following along, Lutherans teach that the word of God is divided into two doctrines or themes of law and gospel. That scripture, that basically every verse in the Bible is either law or gospel. And... I think um, this is kind of showing what the debate is then, that that's not true. I don't think that every verse in the Bible is either law or gospel. I think that law and gospel is the application of the word of God to a person. And um, as law and gospel became kind of the way to do preaching and the way to do exegesis, that you're always either preaching law or preaching gospel and that you're looking for law in the Bible or you're looking for gospel in the Bible, I think that is um, way too simple. So really the, the debate is, um, is law and gospel kind of the simple way to do theology? Or is it a little more complex than that? And is it a tool for pastoral care? And I guess you can disagree with me on this if you want. I know pastors who disagree with me on this. But I am very much of the opinion that uh, this topic is more complex than simply every verse is either law or gospel and every sermon should be the same structure of law and gospel. Um, and I think it is not that simple. I think that it is a complex topic and it's a tool for pastoral care. So I hope that kind of makes sense. Marsha, do you have a question? Question would be where would the parables fall into either law? Yeah, so this is one of the problems that I think you, you simply can't just say that either ver every verse is either law or gospel. Because there are things like um, the parables that are teaching – they're teaching kind of Christian ethics, and you could say, well, that's law, but then take the Good, uh, the, the Good Samaritan, which may not even be a parable. Let's say it's a parable. Um, the Good Samaritan teaches the Christian ethic of – Caring for your neighbor who God puts in front of you. And Jesus himself says you go and do likewise. right? So you can't deny that. On the other hand, the Good Samaritan is also an image of Jesus. Coming and caring for the sinner. So it shows both our sin and it shows our Savior. right? And the uh, maybe even more basic way to describe this problem of how every verse can't be law or gospel is what do you do with John 3.16? Right? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever shall believe in him should have eternal, not perish, but have eternal life. Well, certainly that shows our Savior, and a lot of people, I think, would say, well, that's a gospel verse. In fact, it's a summary of the gospel, right? However, what about someone who responds this way? I don't need a Savior. What are you telling me that I need a Savior for? Right? They're still in their sin. And so... And, and therefore, they're experiencing that verse, John 3.16, as law, that you're condemning them for needing a Savior by saying that they need sin forgiven, right? Um, and John 3.16 also talks about the wrath of God, right, that, they, that people would perish if they don't uh, believe on Jesus Christ. So it's just not that simple. And... Um, so this is why I said that the long gospel as a tool for pastoral care, it's about application. How do people experience or how do people hear the word of God? And what do they need to hear from it? So the pastor's job, and this is what Walter is great on. I mean, I like the book. Don't get me wrong. The book is great. And this is what Walter is great on is that people need to hear either law or gospel. People are either comfortable in their sin and they need to hear the law so that they're brought to repentance or they are convicted of their sin and they need to hear the gospel so that they're brought to comfort. And uh, that happens by the preaching of the word and it happens by exegeting a text to someone. But you can't just simply say that like a verse is this or a verse is that or that the sermon uh, is divided strictly into doing this and then doing that, right? Because I can't control how people hear what I say, right? Um, I can only uh, say what the text says and explain it to people. Um, now, I can, I can try and... Um, do more law preaching or do more gospel preaching, but I still can't necessarily control it in that way. And the, this is one of the problems with kind of law and gospel preaching, if it's understood as a methodology for preaching, to me, is that it really becomes about psychological manipulation. How do I make you feel bad, and then how do I make you feel good? Right. Yeah, which is, but, but that's kind of more based on emotion than it is based on the text. And I want to base my sermon on the text. So but that's kind of the issue. You don't want to every Sunday come in and always hear the same sermon. Right. I can see it coming in. It also has a problem. It also has a problem, I think. Um, I don't want to get too far in the weeds on the debate side of things. But the law and gospel preaching thing also has a problem when you preach the law that you end up making up sins for people that don't exist. So not everyone... I, not, not everyone struggles with the same sins, right? And uh, so I can preach the law on, um, say, the Sixth Commandment, but not absolutely everyone in the congregation is addicted to pornography. And if I'm trying to make people feel bad about that, um, then I'm making up sins for someone that, doesn't, that, that just doesn't exist, right? Now, I, it, might, it might work on some people, but it might not work on others, right? So... Um, and then it just kind of becomes un, unapplicable to people. So uh, 
yeah, I remember like hearing these sermons, um, not all the time growing up, but sometimes where it was kind of the same sermon no matter what the text was, like the law gospel. And then I'd, I would be really confused because I would think maybe I have broken this sin, but like I don't remember, you know, like committing this sin. And uh, so anyway, you kind of that kind of becomes an issue too. All right, so um, with all that said. Obviously, I think you, you, you've kind of heard me say I'm going to disagree with some of the things in this book. It, it seems to me that the author who wrote this section in this book tends to be um, a little bit on the other side of the debate, that they view this as more of a tool, um, a way to do exegesis. And they don't talk about preaching as much, but, re- but especially a way to do exegesis where you're looking for law and you're looking for gospel in the Bible. And um, – I don't, I don't really think that's the best way to do exegesis. But nonetheless, the things that he says about law and gospel, for the most part, are, are good and worth talking about. So um, let's go ahead and dive into the book then. Uh, so under the section – did someone raise their hand? Oh, okay. Um, under the section of defining law and gospel there, uh, he, he kind of goes a little bit deeper than SOS, but that – we all know what a law is. A law is a standard, right? So, for instance, a posted speed limit, 65 miles an hour, then the legal expectation is that you won't drive faster than 65 miles per hour, right? So, um, and if you do break that law, then you could get a ticket. So there's a standard, uh, a set a set law, and there's a punishment for breaking that law. Well, uh, it's similar with God. And I, I like that what he does here is he connects this to creation. Which is what, how I always describe God's law, is that God's law, his commands, his statutes, uh, they are his <coughs> eternal will. That he makes the world, he creates the world, he creates the universe to function in a certain way. And... That will for things to work in a certain way, his desire for uh, how things should be, how people should act, uh, the way the world is supposed to function, that's, his, that's what his law is. Now, he reveals his law throughout scripture um, to be you know, in clearer ways. So eventually he will give the Ten Commandments and then… Eventually, the Ten Commandments are summarized by Jesus as love God and love your neighbor. And then you could read something like the Sermon on the Mount to see what that, how that plays out. Um, but the law, in its most basic sense, is the eternal will or the, the desires of God for the world. right? What God wants of the world. And that term wants is important right? because… When we think about the law, we're thinking about what God wants from us, what God commands from us, right? Not what God himself does. God is outside of creation, right? He's the creator. Of course, he follows his own laws in the sense that he is God, but um, the law is primarily what God wills for us, what he wants from us, what he commands from us. The gospel is, in a sense, the opposite of that. Because the gospel is 
not what God wills for us, but the gospel is the work of God for us. So this goes back to shows our sin and shows our Savior. The law shows what is commanded by God. The gospel shows what God has done for us. And that is specifically in the person and work of Christ. Uh, for our redemption, for our salvation, right? So the gospel shows our Savior. So whatever we, um, and remember what law and gospel is. It's a, it's a tool for pastoral care. It's the application of the word to the hearer. That's what law and gospel is. It's the application of the word to the hearer. And so whenever we have the word preached to us, the word taught to us, whenever we read the word on our own, and we experience the commands of God, the demands of God, you could even say, we're hearing the law. Whenever we see what God has done for us, we are hearing, we're experiencing, we're having the gospel applied to us okay um so uh distinguishing law and gospel um is important and the reason it's important is because we can't get these things mixed up and think that when we hear the demands of god that that's what we must do to be saved. Because salvation is not a matter of the law, the Bible teaches. Salvation is a matter of the gospel. And so when someone hears the law, whenever they hear the Ten Commandments, for instance, um, which, again, we got to be careful because you could hear the Ten Commandments as either law or gospel, right? You could see the Ten Commandments. You could say, that's all the stuff I have to do. Or you could see the Ten Commandments and you can say, that's everything that Jesus did for me, right? So you could hear them either way. But say you, you read the Ten Commandments and you, and you experience them as law. You, they're applied to you as law. That all these things um, are what God desires of me to do. Then you say to yourself, you think to yourself, well, that's what I got to do to get into heaven. Because that's what God wants for me. Well, then you've mixed up law and gospel, right? You've mixed up you've, you've mixed up law and gospel, and you've put something that belongs to the gospel, getting to heaven, into the terms of the law. So this is the this is the reason that Lutherans are always saying we can't mix up law and gospel is because to mix up law and gospel is the fundamental error that the Roman Catholics made. It's the fundamental error that modern day Christians make who say that you have to have faith plus works to get into heaven. Um, it's the fundamental error of, uh, he'll get to this in a moment, every other world religion, right? Every world religion, every other religion except for Christianity teaches that you have to do something to get into heaven, right? And this is the way that uh, the, a very, the, the kind of standard um, 
systematics or dogmatics textbook for seminary students uh, by a guy named Peeper called Christian Dogmatics opens up in the first volume. It says, there's two religions. There's the religions of the law and there's the religion of the gospel. Christianity is the only religion of the gospel. And uh, we have to get that straight, right? Otherwise, we're the, we're the only... It's the only religion that teaches that God comes and saves man. So uh, we can't mix this up because it would be fundamental error, right? It would be a fundamental error to mix these things up. So that's why we have to distinguish them. Um, and that's why the book is called The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel, right? And what are you going to do if, as a pastor, right? If I, if I am applying the word to the hearer and someone is... Uh, unrepentant of their sin. So say, um, is it, you know, uh, say say someone's say a husband has committed adultery against his wife, and um, he says, yeah, well, I'm not really. I think it's okay because it was just a, you know, it was just a little mistake. It's not that big of a deal, and I still love my wife, right? If I said, oh, don't worry, Jesus has forgiven your sin, what have I just done? I've told them that keep on sin has no consequences, keep on sinning. Uh, I've told him that something that's fundamentally not true, that he's saved without repentance. No. Go ahead. They have a wife, but they have all these behind-the-scenes type. Yeah. Well, so the, why were they blessed? <coughs> well, the question is, uh, did they repent of their sexual sins or not? Um, and I would think with, uh, you know, clearly like with David, Psalm 51, he does repent of his of his sexual sins. But that's so that's the whole question is repentance. So that would be one way to, to confuse law and gospel and to do harm to the hearer is if someone is unrepentant of their sin and I and I give them the gospel instead of giving them the law, right? Another way to uh, mess with the hearer, to, to mess up uh, this pastoral care, this application of law and gospel and to not properly distinguish them which is the, the goal of Lutheran theology, right, is to distinguish law and gospel. That's um, what, what we're talking about. Would be if, say, someone, uh, so let's change the situation a little bit. A guy cheats on his wife, uh, comes home, feels terrible about it, confesses to his wife, confesses to his pastor, um, says that, you know, he's he's... Realized what he's done. Um, maybe he read the story of David and Bathsheba. He realized what he's done, and um, he's willing to bear the consequences. And he is uh, falling on his on his knees, asking for forgiveness before God. And I say, "Well, too bad. You did something real bad here, and you need to think harder about what you've done and go." examine yourself and examine 
and examine what the scripture says about adultery again. What have I just done? I've kept him in his sin when he's a repentant sinner who needs to hear the comfort of Jesus Christ. Right? So, uh, and that, that will do harm to his soul, right? He, he will eventually probably forsake the faith if I continue, if, if we continue to apply care in that way. So this is why it's really, really important to distinguish long gospel in terms of application to the hearer, in terms of pastoral care. Um, and uh, when we say pastoral care, too, just a quick caveat, this, this does also apply to situations where brother Christians are talking to each other, too, not just um, the pastor to hear the, the reason that I, I call this a tool for pastoral care primarily is because this theology was developed in terms of pastoral care. Of how are you going to preach to your people? How are you going to 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 um, counsel your people by distinguishing law and gospel? Uh, that that's kind of where this theology was developed historically. So that's why we call it a tool for pastoral care. Obviously, it also applies to when you're reading your Bible by yourself or when you're um, talking to a brother or sister Christian. Uh, it it also applies in that sense. So, but regardless. Um, you can see there in those situations how distinguishing between law and gospel, which what do they need to hear, is very, very important. Um, if you flip over to the next couple pages, um, we kind of jump there. But on page 136, um, he discusses this whole idea here that time to afflict or comfort. A common saying among pastors is afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted, Right. So what this means is that when people are comfortable with themselves and do not think that they are sinners, they need to be afflicted with the message of God's law so that they see their sin, their sinfulness, and their need for forgiveness. And when those who are already burdened or afflicted in their conscience by the weight of their sin, they need to be comforted with the message of the gospel that their sins are forgiven because of Christ. Right. So this is the work of distinguishing between law and gospel. Okay. So uh, let's jump over to something a little bit different then, um, which is to explore a little bit deeper uh, this narrow use of law, narrow use of gospel, um, talking about its purposes so, or its uses. So you may have heard this before way long ago in confirmation. I don't know. But the law has uh, three uses. Anyone know what the first one is? The curve, and then the second one is the mirror, and then the third one, which we'll get to a little bit later, is the guide. Curve, mirror, guide. I'm out of time. Okay. So the curve, the first use of the law, is that the law, God's demands of us, according to his eternal will, it gives us, uh, it's just like a curb on the road. That it keeps you from driving over the line because you're scared of the threat or the condemnation of the law. So with the law also comes the condemnation, right? God's wrath, God's punishment for the sinner. And so um, we are curbed from evil or wrongdoing because we ultimately don't want to go to hell, right? Now, there is a more kind of minor application of this, too, in terms of natural law. 
and uh, the unbelievers. So the curb. I'm running out of board space on this one. Uh, the curb applies both to the believer and unbeliever. Right? The believer is primarily concerned with God's eternal wrath and hell because he believes those things exist. Right? The unbeliever um, might see a couple different things. One, as far as governmental law is concerned, and this is the job of the government, is to establish curbing laws and curbing punishments for the law. Uh, the unbeliever might be concerned with going to jail for breaking the law, right? Or um, ultimately even you know, the death penalty for breaking the law. Uh, or the unbeliever might be concerned with natural consequences for breaking the law, right? So um, this is politically incorrect now, but it used to be that People were afraid of being gay because it can cause certain kinds of diseases, right? Um, so there's natural consequences to breaking the law. Or maybe a, a, a nicer, more politically correct version would be that a child is uh, scared to disobey his uh, parents because naturally his parents are um, and him are not going to get along and he's going to get spanked if he breaks the law in the house, right? So this is the curbing use of the law, is that there's the threat of punishment, and because of the threat of punishment, the law curbs you from wrongdoing. Okay. The mirror is what Lutherans like to refer to as the primary use of the law. So the second use is kind of the primary use, and that's, that's, that's the SOS. That's that this shows us our sin, right? Um, that it's like a mirror, that if you look at the Ten Commandments, it's like you're looking in a mirror and you see, yep, I have failed to make time in my daily life for God's word, third commandment. Uh, yes, I've gossiped about my neighbor when I didn't know if it was true, eighth commandment. Yes, I've uh, looked at a woman lustfully in my heart, sixth commandment. Did those out of order. But it's like looking in a mirror. Right, and you see your sin, and that brings you uh, to repentance, ideally, for the believer. Right, um, and so this is uh, this applies to to use a technical term to a repentant sinner. Okay, so obviously that would be a believer. It could still be an unbeliever. That the, and there, there, it might be that an unbeliever has come to a knowledge of their sin, has come to a knowledge that they are unable to fulfill the law and they're sorry for it, but they don't yet know the gospel. Um, so that that can be that you can't have a repentant sinner who's not yet a believer, uh, which is which is an important distinction, although kind of minor and rare. Um, that is an important distinction. So it does apply to both believer and then rarely to an unbeliever uh, who's become a repentant sinner but is not yet uh, aware of the gospel or doesn't yet hasn't had the gospel preached to them yet. Okay, and then um, we'll get to the guide in a second because I kind of want to follow the the way of the book here. Um, but that's the the first and second use of the law. The purpose of the gospel is onefold, right? There's only one purpose of the gospel, and that is to show us our sin, right? The purpose of the gospel is to 
give us the comfort, the peace of Jesus Christ. It is to give us the forgiveness of sins. It is to show us that we are redeemed from the condemnation of the law. That uh, this is this is the gospel. That you are no longer condemned by the punishment, by the threat of the law. That Christ has taken that punishment for you. He has fulfilled the law on your behalf, right? And this is what we call the atonement. And there's different ways to talk about the atonement. You can talk about the atonement as Jesus' victory over sin. You can talk about the atonement as the penal substitution for sin. But regardless of how you talk about it, the gospel is that Jesus has atoned for sin. And he has atoned for the sinner and that you are saved. Right? That's the gospel. Um, so the purpose of the gospel is onefold. Okay. Um, law and gospel working together, basically his point there is that this is an ongoing reality in the Christian life. An ongoing reality in the Christian life that throughout your Christian life, you are going to experience all of these things over and over again. You're going to experience the curbing use of the law. You're going to come up across a temptation and you're going to be scared of what's going to happen if you commit this sin. You're going to look and you're going to have this, the law preached to you and you're going to see that you need to repent of a certain sin. Uh, you're going to see the goodness of the law, which is the guide, which we haven't talked about yet, and want to do it, um, which is basically the, the guide use, which, which we'll talk about next week. Also, you're going to experience the gospel, have the gospel applied to your life over and over again throughout the Christian life. Right? Every time you basically... Every time you come to church on Sunday, plus probably every other day of your life, you're going to experience law and gospel, right? Especially on Sundays, though, when you come to church, you're going to experience the gospel, right? You're going to have the forgiveness of sins preached to you. You're going to be absolved at the beginning of the service. You're going to take communion and receive the forgiveness of sins on your tongue, right? Um, this is a daily ongoing reality for the Christian, that you experience both the law and the gospel. That you're daily fighting against sin. It's just it's like what Luther says about baptism in the small catechism. That we should, day, by daily contrition and repentance, drown the old Adam and rise again to live a new life in Christ. It's law and gospel, right? Every day, law and gospel. So, um, repentance and faith, law and gospel. Daily ongoing reality. And these things work together, right? So you can't... Um, he talks about this later on, but you can't separate the law and the gospel, right? You have they have to be distinct. It's like um, they have to be distinguished, but not separated, right? So they're 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 one reality together. That both God God preaches both His law and His gospel to us, but you can't uh, you can't take them completely apart. You can't say that well. Um, you only have the law, that would be kind of legalistic, or you only have the gospel. Um, he talks about the term gospel reductionist later, where everything is always fine and dandy and everyone's always saved and 
there's no there's no such thing as the law, no such thing as, as bad stuff. You have to have them together, constantly working together in the life of the Christian to bring about repentance and faith. Um, however, like we said earlier, they have to be distinguished and applied at the right times in the right ways. So it's a it's a hard thing. And, and we'll just end on that note that the task of law and gospel is very difficult. It's very difficult. Um, he says at some point, I know I'm going out of order of the book here, but well, actually, that's actually it's the next section. He says, um, quotes this Luther quote, which is very famous, where Luther says that anyone who can properly and consistently distinguish law and gospel has been blessed by the Holy Spirit with a gift equal to being a doctor of Holy Scripture. Right. So this is a difficult task to know when someone needs to hear the law and when someone needs to hear the gospel. Right. And. I can tell you as a pastor who counsels people actively, it's hard to know when someone needs to for you to comfort them, for you to, to remind them that, that Jesus has died for this because people aren't always that clear. <laughs> so the, the examples I gave earlier of the the um, example adulterer, those I can make it sound very clear in an example. But in reality, when when you're counseling someone or when you're preaching, it's very, very hard to know exactly what people are thinking and exactly what what how they're hearing what you're saying. Right. And and how they're hearing the word of God. It's very difficult to to know what someone is is thinking um, and how they're what's going on in their heart. Right. Whenever whenever you're preaching the word of God to them. And it's consequently distinguishing law and gospel, knowing uh, when to attempt to apply the law in a way that convicts them of their sin and when to try and comfort them with the gospel. Those are very, very difficult tasks. And I can tell you I've definitely messed up before on that. Like it's not – it's – you know, it's definitely not easy. And that's why Luther says like he's not joking when he says this is very – very hard task to, to distinguish law and gospel rightly. And so um, that's always important to keep in mind. And that's to, to kind of wrap up uh, back to what we started talking about at the beginning, that the difficulty of the task of law and gospel is another reason why I think we can't really have this simple way to do theology with law and gospel, where we just say, well, here's a law verse, here's a gospel verse, because we, it, like I said earlier, it is very hard to know how someone is hearing a certain verse, um, even something as simple as John 3:16, you don't know how someone hears that, right? So, um, anyway, we'll that we'll kind of leave off for there. Next time we'll talk about um, the third use of the law, especially, and that should actually kind of wrap up our discussion. We shouldn't spend too much more time on this. Any final questions or thoughts or comments on law and gospel? Does that all make sense? Or are you more confused than you were before on law and gospel? Oh, I know. There's a lot of clear. Okay, okay no, that's good. Um, it doesn't all have to be done at the same time. Maybe in a sermon, a sermon needs to be. You need to show them their sin and show them their forgiveness in the same sermon. But if you're counseling somebody, 
and you talk about their sin, you don't have to talk about, well, you're all forgiven anyway, so don't worry about it. Right, yeah. Wait until it's too a little bit, and they're more receptive. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a good point, because it is this ongoing reality. And, um, you know, even with sermons, you know, I might, I probably preach some law and some gospel, if you want to think about it that way, every sermon. Now, I can tell you more about how I preach um, kind of the theories in the back of my head when I'm uh, preaching later, if you want to talk about that. But I think, you know, a lot of people are going to walk away from a sermon and they're probably not going to be like, oh, yeah, I, I remember being law here and gospel here, whatever. People are basically going to come away thinking, um, you know, that sermon really comforted me. Or I learned a lot from that sermon. Or uh, pastor was really off his game this week and I didn't understand anything he was saying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever it may be. Or uh, wish he would have stopped ten minutes ago, you know. Um, yeah. Well, in that case, you can always blame it on the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right. You don't take credit for it, but you don't all say, you know, in trouble. Yeah, so it is, in that sense, again, it is just much more complex and um, this ongoing reality that that Christians are dealing with in their life. So, all right, let's close with the word of prayer. (laughs) Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. We pray that you would continue to strengthen us in this life of faith. We pray that you would continue to bring us to repentance of our sins, that we would see our sins, and repenting of them, that we would also see our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would have comfort and peace in the salvation that he has won for us. We pray this through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.